We're going to continue now with 1 Peter. Today it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, for is it better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He has put to death in the body, but was made alive in the spirit. After dis excuse me. After after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to do to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven in the, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name's Prash. Uh, I'm the senior minister. If you're visiting on you, a very warm welcome to you. Um, I just have um, one uh, administrative uh, item, which is to mention to you that uh, we'll be presenting an ordinance to the standing committee to authorise the sale of the Laurel Street property. Uh, if you're visiting on you, this all seems a bit strange. This is part of Anglican process to ensure that you know, uh, our property is dealt with properly. Um, if you're interested, there are copies of the ordinance at the table at the welcome desk at the back, or you can come and chat with me or one of the wardens, and we'll fill you in about the details of that. I'm just required to disclose that to the congregations this Sunday, so I do that. Also, a shout-out to the uh, sound desk, great work, and the production team. Um, they always say, as a preacher, stay on the good side of the sound desk guy, um, and they do a great job here, so it was, it was great to see them up here. Now, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, before we spend some time reflecting on God's word, would you pray with me? Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and minds this morning, showing us the Lord Jesus Christ, making us more like him and drawing us closer to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what are you preparing for at the moment in your life? What are you preparing for? In our house, we have um, my daughter's birthday party on Thursday, so uh, we've been preparing for that. She's been preparing for it for months and months, 
um, we've been, we, I say Emily actually, in fairness, has been preparing for this birthday party for a while. You know, you're thinking about the food and the games and um, now it's COVID, so you have to do everything in a COVID safe way as well. Um, so it, I, I suspect though, we're always preparing for something in our life, aren't we? If you're, um, if you're a six-year-old, you're preparing for your birthday or your friend's birthday. Um, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a student, if you're in the year 12, you're preparing for the HSC right now. You're in that, you're in that mindset. That's the thing that's occupying your energy and your time and your efforts. Uh, if you're young, you might be preparing for your career, for your job. Uh, you might be preparing for a wedding. I saw a friend getting married yesterday in COVID land, and she's preparing. She had to prepare a very unique type of wedding. If you're a grandparent, you're just preparing for your next stint of childcare. Uh, we're all preparing for something in our life. These things just occupy our mind. And it's with, that, it's with that reflection in mind that the verse that really strikes me about this morning's passage, we're looking at 1 Peter again, we've been reading this letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Peter. There's two of them uh, towards the end of the New Testament. And we've been reflecting on the themes that are bubbling away in this. And in this morning's passage, verse 15 is the verse that really strikes us early on where Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Last week we talked about a, a very uh, long passage reflecting on the life of uh, a believer who has Christ at the centre, and Peter now says, always be prepared to give an answer. I want to just reflect on that phrase for a little bit because there's a lot in it and there's a lot worth in reflection and work backwards. First of all, he says, always be prepared to give an answer. This is a very important balancing phrase to what we read last week in 1 Peter. Last week in 1 Peter was all about the radical nature of the life of a believer who submits all parts of their life in, in very difficult sometimes ways. Uh, the way you live was so important and linked to your life with Christ at the centre, says Peter. But in case we were to believe that that was primary, here's the balance to what Peter says almost immediately in, this, in the next section. Always be prepared to give an answer. Now, you may have heard this statement before. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if you must. It's a statement that's attributed, apparently, to St. Francis of Assisi. Now, here's the thing about that. That is, to use fairly uh, appropriate terminology, fake news. That's not true. First of all, he didn't say it. Um, well, no one can ever find an attribution to him. And it doesn't actually reflect his way of thinking either. Most people who've written about him, he was a monk uh, in, you know, 300 AD or whatever, uh, he, most people who've written about him would say that actually he, he's a, a, a man who preached in an ongoing way. I mean, his life was marked by preaching. But it, regardless of whether he said it or not, it doesn't actually reflect the tenure of Scripture. So here's what Paul says in uh, Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? He says, how will they call him in them if they don't believe? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear if someone hasn't spoken? Now the Bible does not understand witness apart from words. In fact, word, the word, the message is at the center of God's work in the story of the Bible. 
So we have to always avoid having a dichotomy, an unfair dichotomy, which thinks of witness as either actions or words. Actually, and what we see here in 1 Peter, is that you have very radical call to a life of submission and sacrifice in the chapter chapter and the verses we read last week, and immediately followed by what Peter says here, being willing to give an answer, a verbal response. Now, here's what he then goes on to say, but move back. He says, always be prepared. Now, this is so important. Sometimes we think about witness as something that should just naturally flow out of us, and maybe that's why it sometimes holds us back. We think, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, Peter says, of course you wouldn't, unless you have prepared for it, unless you've prepared for it. It's very interesting, actually, in this passage, Peter says, always be willing, always be willing to give an answer, but do it with gentleness and respect, right? Lest you should put someone off. You should be slandered unfairly. Now, the only way you can do something like that, that you can be confident and yet give an answer with gentleness and respect, is if you have prepared. If you have prepared, if you have reflected, if you have a clear sense of why you believe the things you believe. If you have a clear sense of what it is that you actually believe. So you can articulate it. It reminds me of, the, of, again, the dichotomy we see, the, the duality of Ephesians 4, where we talked about in our vision series, about being willing to speak the truth in love. I think often people who struggle to do those two things, or to be confident and yet gentle in the way that they witness, because they haven't prepared. If you don't really know what you're going to say, if you don't really know why you believe it, then what you'll tend is to one or the other. You'll be overly gentle, but completely unclear lack confidence. Or you might be harsh. (laughs) You'll be very confident about what you believe, but you've lacked the gentleness. Peter says you need to be prepared. And thirdly, and this is the most probably challenging of this this phrase, he says, always be prepared. Always. Now, we might breach past, past that word when we read it, but just reflect on the universality of that. Always. Always. There is no exception. You just let that seep into you and think about what it's saying about your life. There isn't a moment. It's not like, do this on Monday, because that's the closest day to Sunday, and therefore that's a good day for doing witness. Always. And it's not just in times, but it's in stages of life as well. There's a real temptation to think, you know, when, when you meet a, new, a person who's a new believer, gosh, they're excited to share their faith. It's rich, it's vibrant to them. And they're often very, very, you might, this might be your story. You might reflect back on the time when you were a new believer and how, how quick you were to share the hope that you had. But what often happens, or, or if you're young, we see this in, in youth ministry all the time. Teenagers are so great. Teenage Christians are often so great at inviting their friends and sharing what they believe and having the conversation. But it's like we grow up and we think that, well, we've moved beyond that season of life. That was something for a previous season. But always, says Peter, always. There isn't a season in your life when you shouldn't be prepared to give an answer for the hope for which you have. Always. I said this at 7.45, but it's true here at 9.45 too. Don't, don't disqualify yourself from what God is calling you to do. Always. Are you always ready? Here's what one author says, Michael Green he says, the early, church, the early church made evangelism its number one priority. Today, it comes far down the list. The early church had a deep compassion for people without Christ. 
Many sections of the modern church are far from convinced that it matters much whether you know Christ or not. The early church was not unduly minister conscious, yet today everything hinges on the minister. The paid servant of the church is expected to engage in God talk. The early church expected every member to be a witness to Christ and his risen presence and power. Today, witness is at a discount compared with dialogue, and it is, and it is expected only of certain gifted clergy persons at best. That's a fairly scathing description of the church. But I wonder if there's some truth to that. I wonder if there's some truth just generally to churches that there is an expectation that there is a small group of people at best in our congregations who are equipped and willing and able to share their faith, the hope for which they have. I wonder if we have that. And maybe, worse still, there is, a, there is an even greater expectation that most of those people will actually be paid to do it. But Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. And there's a, there's a breath to what he's saying. Now, we, we really believe that here. I mean, we, that's why we said one of the priorities of us as a church, mission priorities, is to bring our friends to faith. And, and Matt has been talking about this the last few weeks. That's one of the reasons why we launched that summer series survey, where we have the question. The question is, God would be good news if... And, and, and the point of that is not that you would answer it. In some ways, we don't really care what you think as members of St. Stephen's. I mean, sure, tell me. That'd be great. But the point is actually we'd love to hear what your friends and your family and your non-church contacts think about it. But even more than that, and that will help us to shape the series that we run in January, which will give people an opportunity to explore their real questions about Christianity. But you know what? Even that is secondary. We think the question is just a really great starter to maybe opening a dialogue about spiritual things. And really, we think the question is a great way for you to open a conversation with someone so that they might ask you at some point down the track, maybe straight away or maybe months or years later, about the hope that you have. We want you to be prepared. We want you to be ready to share that. So Peter is saying, Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And that's true for us. Now, that is a very, that's a universal call. It's a huge call, actually. And I think a lot of people feel very uncomfortable. Why can Peter say that? How can he make such an extraordinary call that says every person needs to feel this challenge? Well, it's interesting. I think it comes from the flow of the passage. Verses 19 to 21 are... Uh, some of the more difficult verses in, in the Bible, um, that's where Peter talks about Jesus going and preaching to disobedient spirits. Um, what that means, who knows? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this is one of the most beautiful and difficult, unintelligible passages in the Bible. Um, and so I'm not going to really have a go at trying to decipher that for you. Um, I think there's some beauty, actually, in being able to say there's parts of the Bible that we just don't really understand. I mean, it's God's Word. Why should it all be immediately um, comprehensible to us? Perhaps it means that Jesus went down there while he was dead and preached to them. There's some difficulties with that. Perhaps it means that um, he preached through Noah by his Holy Spirit back in that time. Maybe, but there's also difficulties with that. I tell you what does emerge through the passage is a very clear movement, especially in the original language, where three, three words or groups of words really stand out 
And it's this, verse 18, he was put to death. Verse 19, he was then made alive. And then verse 22, he has gone into heaven. There's a real movement of the passage of Jesus dying, being raised, and then ascending. And you see what Peter says, he finishes, he says, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And then if you go back and you look at verse 15, that verse that we're meditating on, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. The thing that Peter says just before that verse is, revere Christ as Lord. See, the reason Peter says this is actually for every single person, the reason that everyone should be challenged to take on this is because actually Jesus Christ is in charge. Now, he's not just making this up. Here's what Jesus himself said. Matthew 28, all authority, he's just, he's risen, he's, the context is he's risen, he's speaking to his disciples before he's about to ascend. This is one of his last conversations which Matthew, Matthew captures in his account of Jesus' life. And he's, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and, and earth has been given to me, sorry for the typo, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. See that? All authority is with Jesus and therefore... You share your faith. Because Jesus Christ is in, law, is in charge, you share your faith. Witness about Christ is the abiding task because Christ is in control, because Jesus is in control. There was a survey done um, a few years back which surveyed millennials. That's like 20 to 30-ish age group, right? Millennial evangelicals. And they asked them... Um, is Jesus coming to faith in Jesus the single best thing that's ever happened in your life? 95% of them said, yes, great answer. I mean, that's what you kind of hope. Then they asked them, is it okay to share your faith with another person? 55% said yes. What? 95% think it's the single greatest thing that's happened in their life but only 55% of people think it's worth sharing. And why is that? Well, it's because we have grown up in a time which says the greatest authority in your life is internally derived. You know, what I think is important is what's most important. But if the, what the Bible is saying, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he rose from the dead, that he do, has done what no other person has done, that he has conquered death, and that now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. If you genuinely believe that, then his authority over you and other people is unique and extraordinary. I mean, that is the only reason why evangelism and witness and, the, and, and a concerted effort to share our hope with other people makes sense if Jesus Christ really is Lord. And that's the challenge. If you don't believe that, then of course I don't expect you to share your faith with another person. But if you do, then there, that, is, that is the centrally most important thing, not just for you to do, but for them to know. Not just for you to do, but for them to know. I think the reality is, most of the time, though, we don't, we don't not share our faith, or we don't hold back a testimony or a witness about what we believe because we have some kind of philosophical disagreement with it. I think at the base of it, most of the time, is that we're just afraid. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of some kind of reputational harm.
Here's what Peter says, interestingly, in verse 13. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? We read that right at the start. We moved on from it very quickly. There's just a lot of wisdom there. If you're sharing the hope that you have, which has genuinely transformed your life, most people are actually going to be interested. Most people are going to be interested. We had this moment because we had some friends come over from across the bridge uh, in the inner west, and um, they are not churchgoers, and we had them for afternoon tea, and towards the end of the conversation, it came out that their daughter was doing the scripture this year. And mum said to her, I was about to leave because it was Sunday and I had to come back to, to the afternoon service. And her mum said, oh, before Prash leaves, why don't you ask him that question that you had from scripture because I'm not equipped to ask it. And so she asked this great question about who created God. And we had a long conversation about the nature of God. And then I kind of went off to church and came back home later and I said to Emily, my wife, uh, wow, that was, that was a crazy conversation. We, we did not expect it. Did not expect it. But people are genuinely searching for spiritual answers. They genuinely are. And the opportunities will present themselves. And sometimes the reason we don't take them is because we falsely think that actually we're just going to be rejected. But Peter says, actually, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, of course, the truth is, he then goes on to say, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. I mean, the reality is sometimes when you do share your faith, when you do take a step out there, there will be some form of discomfort. It might not be that bad because we live in Australia and, you know, we're, we're generally kind of, we, we've grown up in a Judeo-Christian culture, but, but there is a possibility there'll be some kind of reputational discomfort, some kind of relational discomfort. And yet, you see when Peter says, this is what is most startling about this passage, he says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This is very interesting what Peter's saying about suffering here. He doesn't say, even if you should suffer what is right, you will be blessed. We might all expect that. He says, no, you are blessed. And this is a reminder to us of something that's very unique about the Christian faith and suffering. We don't suffer and therefore just endure suffering. Now, the Bible says we have Christians have the extraordinary capacity somehow to endure hardship or suffering somewhere on the spectrum, whatever it is, and not just endure it, but even rejoice in it. Even rejoice in it. Rejoice always, said the Apostle Paul in Philippians. We did that mini-series on that earlier this year. Christians have the capacity to go through suffering, not just endure it, but rejoice in it. That, that is startling. And it leaves us with this question, how can that genuinely be true? The answer that's been running through the book of 1 Peter and repeatedly popping up in, in all the various excerpts is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to do witness right, if you want to do suffering right, then you have to have Jesus Christ at the centre. And that's why he has that beautiful verse, verse 18, which we, we've been using as our memory verse, as Ben mentioned earlier in the service. It's, it's an extraordinary verse. I just want to reflect on that as we finish. For Christ suffered once for all sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Maybe you've been listening to this sermon about um, sharing, sharing your hope, witnessing, testimony of you feel overwhelmed by it. 
I just want you to reflect on what the gospel, what Jesus Christ is saying, because it is only with Jesus at the center that you will really understand what the Bible is saying about sharing your faith. You see what he says? Christ suffered once for all sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is such an important phrase. You see, Jesus Christ's gift to you comes irrespective of your evangelistic fervor. You see that? His gift to you comes irrespective of your courage to share your faith. The gospel is God's good gift to you, regardless of whether you have or whether you will willingly and joyfully share your faith. Because it actually comes for the unrighteous. For the unrighteous. That's what's at the heart of the hope that we have. And it's so important to free us in the moment of our, in that moment, <laughs> in that moment when the, when the opportunity passes us by and we look back and regret. The gospel is God's free gift to you, regardless of whether you took that opportunity well or you let it sail past. God's gift is Christ suffered once for all your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And when he does that, Peter says, he brings you to God. He brings you to God. You see, Jesus' Jesus' death is not just some kind of legal moment where a whole record on paper is dealt with. Of course it's that, but it's so much more than that. It's a deep intimacy where God says, I want to be with you. The word actually is used by a Greek historian to describe the moment that people are brought into the presence of King Cyrus in his histories. It is Jesus ushering you in to the presence of God himself, to the presence of God himself, like an ambassador before the king brought into the royal throne room. That is what the gospel is doing, opening the door welcoming you in and at the heart of the gospel is not just God saying you're okay it's God saying I'm with you I will dwell with you I will unite myself to you I will be with you and and that truth of the gospel what Jesus is offering to give you say that I'm with you that I love you that I'm not leaving you is actually at the heart of how we appreciate suffering truly you see, because if the gospel brings you to God, then suffering won't break that. It'll actually deepen that experience. It'll give you a greater intimacy and affinity with God. I remember my kids saying to me once, they'd been off um, playing in a playground, equipment, Harriet and Sam, my two oldest kids, and um, Sam must have been two and a half or something, and some kid had called him a baby. This is bad news for a two-and-a-half-year-old, right? Baby. And uh, Harriet, Harriet piped up. She said, he's not a baby, he's a big boy. Anyway, Harriet's telling me this story very proudly. And Sam just comes, yeah, Harriet told him, I'm not a baby, I'm a big boy. And Harriet looks at him and says, yeah, you're not a baby. And you know, in this moment, where they're taking on the world together, that moment of mini hardship for them, it bonds them. It drives them closer to each other. It gives them a richer experience of being siblings, of sharing a love for each other. 
And the gospel, Jesus says, if they hated you, remember they hated me first. Jesus says, when you endure when hardship for me, what it will do is give you a deeper, a richer sense of the intimacy that the gospel has, that God is with you in spite and through and in the midst of that moment, whatever it is. Not because you deserve it, because his mercy to you is this, I have come to offer myself the righteous for the unrighteous. Um, I mean, when you, when, you start to, when you start to think about those moments coming through where you get a chance to stand for the Lord, to talk about his great work in your life, they are not onerous moments which you must endure, but they are moments to just deepen your sense of God's presence and intimacy and power in your life so you have a richer experience of his mercy and grace so that when you get it wrong, you understand grace. When you get it right, you understand his presence and his power in your life. We're not asking you to share your faith because that will fill pews. We're asking you to share your faith because it will enrich your life and the life of the people around you and bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Kind Heavenly Father, thank you for the extraordinary gospel, which is your deep love for us when we're unrighteous. Your love for us knowing all the moments we'll fail, knowing all the moments that we will forget or stand away from the chance to testify to your work in our life. Thank you for loving us in spite of that, loving us through that, loving us over and above that. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who showed ultimate courage for us. He did not step aside. He did not resolve from that. He loved us to the very end. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us great courage knowing the joy that comes from standing with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue now with a time of...